Welcome to the Horror Babble Originals podcast. It's Your Turn, Joey, by Ian Gordon. The boys had been friends for years. Joseph Anderson and Mark Smith were fifteen, Sean Drinkwater sixteen. The three of them were of humble stock, and as such, humble pastimes were the order of business. Among these activities was yard camp. Though the distant fells of the Lake District called to the youngsters, the wilds of Cambria were out of reach, so Joey's backyard had to suffice. The yard was typical of a two-up, two-down terraced house, a space some fifteen feet squared, bordered by drab, grey walls. It was approaching midnight on a cool July evening, as the boys pitched their three-berth tent in the middle of the bland yard, and gathered inside, their enthusiastic faces illuminated by the weak glow of a camping lantern. They eyeballed one another intently, knowing that, with the tolling of the bell at twelve o'clock, it was story time. It was something of a contest. Their faces lit by the light from a torch, the boys would each tell a story based on local folklore. The prize, a bag of midget gems, customarily concealed among Sean's belongings, awarded to he who told the most terrifying tale. Sean felt fairly certain he had something good up his sleeve. Mark's confidence was clearly visible in the form of an unusually wide ear-to-ear grin. Joey, though, wasn't so sure. His storytelling prowess was lacking. In years gone by, the only goosebumps he'd ever produced had been the result of him unzipping the tent to let in the cool night air. If he were to get his hands on the bag of midget gems this year, he'd have to pull out all the stops. And that was a risky proposition for a young member of the Anderson family. "'I'll go first said the oldest, Sean, grabbing the tarnished storytelling torch from Mark, who had been eager to kick things off. Kill the lantern, Mark. Reluctantly, Mark did so, and Sean switched on the torch, lighting up his plump, round face. Let me tell you about the time I had a run-in with the white lady, he began, lowering his high-pitched tone somewhat. It happened on the white bridge in the old park. You've heard the stories, right? In the gloom, his riveted listener shrugged. Well, it goes something like this. Years ago, a woman was walking through the old park, pushing a baby girl in a pram. Approaching the white bridge, which crosses the brook in the middle of the park, someone attacked her. In the commotion, it's, it's said that she lost her grip of the pram, and over it went, tipping the baby into the stream. Her attacker, shocked to see the child go over the edge, fled. Nobody knows for sure what happened next, but several days later, both the bodies of the baby and the woman were found together in the stream under the white bridge. They say she was cradling the dead baby in her arms. No way! Mark yelled. Joey simply looked on in silence. That's what they say, anyway, said Sean. That's where the old white lady thing comes from. They say that if you stand on the bridge and say... White lady, white lady, I killed your baby three times. She'll climb up from the brook and pull you under. Shit! Mark gasped. Joey nibbled his fingernails nervously. So, I went down there a few days ago, stood on the bridge and peered over the edge. 
The railings are really low, so it's easy to see how a baby tipped out of a pram might have ended up in the brook. Anyway, I made sure there was nobody around, then started to speak, quietly at first. White lady, white lady, I killed your baby. It was just a whisper, really. My heart was thumping like mad. I didn't really think she was down there, didn't really think that saying the words would do anything. Then I said it again, a bit louder this time. White lady, white lady, I killed your baby. It felt easier to say it the second time, because I knew I didn't really have to say it a third time. I could just walk away and never think about it again. But shit me if I didn't hear something below me. Sort of like feet wading through water. I gulped big time, then leaned over the bridge again to take a look. Something had disturbed the water for sure. Small ripples were moving away in all directions, against the current and everything. I was really nervous by this stage. Even if I didn't really believe in the white lady, did I really have what it took to say those words a third and final time? And then it just happened. I blurted them out like an idiot. White lady, white lady, I killed your baby. I proper went for it. I heard the words echoing throughout the park. Then what? Mark asked impatiently. Joey remained motionless, anxious. Sean lowered his voice further still. I heard movement again, right under me. I took a step back from the edge and watched as the sound of rustling and scrambling grew louder and louder. Seconds later, I saw a grey hand come out from under the bridge, a rotten, spongy hand reaching for something to grab hold of. Then another hand came up, feeling along the railings for purchase. Slowly, I saw a head emerge from below, the grey, bald head of the white lady. Her eyes were fixed on me. She, she was scowling. Maggots wriggled in and out of slits and gouges across her soggy face. A mouth lined with sharp black teeth oozed thick, black stuff. She pretty much just floated up and up till she was high in the air above the railings. A white dress completely revealed, all torn and wrinkled, mouldy and sodden. Then, with a shriek, she launched herself at me. I took off running as fast as I could. I never looked back, never stopped till I was clear of the old park and in view of the goff house on Bankside. Oh. Sean, thoroughly pleased with himself, exhaled deeply. What the hell, man? This from Mark, his eyes wide. Did that really happen, Sean? Asked Joey, tentatively. To which Sean responded with a huge belly laugh, shining the torch in the faces of his spooked listeners. Obviously not. Can you imagine? Legend or not, there's no way I'd stand on that bridge and say those words. Me neither, Jerry agreed. Got you both with that one, didn't I? Sean continued arrogantly. His listeners nodded grudgingly. Who's next, then? Sean asked, ogling his friends. Me, cried Mark, desperate to share his tale with the group. Switching off the torch, Sean handed it to Mark, who quickly switched it back on, illuminating his slim, chinless face. Have you guys ever been up to Lightning Tree on Bog Hill? Mark began. The shadowy heads of Sean and Joey simply shook in the darkness. Not many have. It's part of the Bolton Estate. Weird place is the Bolton Estate. There are all sorts of stories of what goes on up there. 
from old bunkers stuffed full of kidnapped children to walled gardens occupied by deformed animals. Lightning Tree is just another oddity, a lone oak tree atop Bog Hill hollowed out by a series of lightning strikes over many years. They say that something lives in Lightning Tree now, something that escaped from one of the Bolton Estate's many walled gardens, a thing that looks like a man, but is covered from head to toe with fur. The Beast of Bog Hill, this from Sean. That's the one, you've heard of it then. Yeah, but I don't know much about it, to be honest. Well, let me tell you about the time I saw it in the flesh, Mark continued, with a touch of dramatic flair. A few weeks ago, I was out over Beanie's fields with Kraken, my uncle's dog. I like to take him up there once or twice a week. Old man Beanie doesn't mind you walking in his fields, but he gets a little tetchy if he sees you heading towards Bog Hill. Anyway, on this particular outing, Beanie was nowhere to be seen, so me and Kraken continued towards Bog Hill till I could make out the shape of lightning tree on the horizon. Knowing I shouldn't, with Kraken at my side, I hopped over the fence right by the private land keep out sign at Beanie's southernmost boundary and started climbing Bog Hill in the direction of lightning tree. I'd only ever seen the tree from Beanie's fields, so closing in on it there on Bog Hill was quite surreal. I swear, the closer I got to it, the darker the skies overhead seemed to become. The sun had been shining only moments before, and it was only two in the afternoon. I knew something was wrong the moment Kraken refused to go any further up the hill. He simply sat down on his iron legs, whimpering, looking up towards the imposing silhouette of Lightning Tree. And it was about then that I caught a whiff of something nasty up ahead. Kraken's a bull mastiff, a really big fella he is. Has a habit of rubbing up against dead birds and fox droppings to pick up scent. The stink coming down from Lightning Tree was just like that. The horrible stench of dead animals and feces. It should have been enough to put me off, but it didn't. I kept climbing. After a while, Kraken, sensing my vulnerability no doubt, came up behind me with his tail between his legs. On we went together, till we were within striking distance of the old oak known as Lightning Tree. The stink up there on the open hillside was stronger than ever. I had to pull my t-shirt up over my nose to keep from breathing it in. It was seriously nasty. Even from where I stood, a distance of no more than thirty feet or so, I couldn't get over the sheer size of Lightning Tree. It was massive. The cavity within must have been five or six feet wide. A huge space for something to dwell inside. And then I saw it. Kraken must have seen it too, because he began to snarl, baring his teeth. Then the beast, a huge hulking thing some seven feet tall, emerged from the cavernous hollow of Lightning Tree and looked at me. What? cried Sean. It was the worst thing I've ever seen in my life, Mark continued. It was just as the legends describe it. A giant man, completely covered with dark fur, two glowing red eyes buried in all the fuzz of its head. I swear, looking at that thing there in the shadow of Lightning Tree with the light of the afternoon all but gone, I felt like it was game over for Kraken and me. Then Kraken let out a single bark, a loud, aggressive bark, that seemed to startle the beast for a second. And then it charged, just like that. I saw huge hooves in place of feet as the thing came toward me. 
and saw an enormous slit-like mouth open up like a manhole beneath its glowing eyes. That mouth was like a black hole, a mouth made for one purpose, to swallow things. I saw its claw-like hands reaching towards Kraken and me, dark, broken nails protruding from its hairy fingers. All this I saw in the instant before Kraken and me took off down Bog Hill as fast as our legs could carry us. As we fled, I could hear the beast burring down on us. Man, could it move on those hooves! Kraken ran just behind me. Even in the face of danger, he wanted to keep himself between the monster and me. One hell of a dog is Kraken. And then the shot rang out. I saw where it came from immediately. Beanie was standing at the bottom of Bog Hill clutching a shotgun. He put a bullet in the beast, forcing it to turn and flee back in the direction of Lightning Tree. Reaching the safety of Beanie and his shotgun, I turned to watch as the fleeing creature returned to its home at the top of the hill. Perhaps it crawled back into the hollow of the tree and died up there. One thing's for sure, the legend is true. The beast of Bog Hill exists, and it's hungry for human flesh. Do you guys fancy a trip up there tomorrow? No! came the unanimous response. That was quite a story, Mark, said Sean. Don't think I'll ever be going near Bog Hill. Mark chuckled. It's just a story, mate. Yeah, but these legends have to have their origins somewhere, right? The White Lady, the Beast of Bog Hill, the Little Men of County Bravadas. Makes you think, doesn't it? It does, Mark agreed. And then Sean uttered the inevitable. It's your turn, Joey. Mark switched off the torch and passed it to the murky shape in the darkness he recognised as Joey. Joey took the proffered item, but chose not to switch it back on immediately. Still mulling over the details of your story, mate? Sean asked. Joey remained silent. Joey? Mark prompted. Just give me a sec, Joey answered, and proceeded to shuffle about awkwardly. Sean and Mark, struggling to make their friend out in the gloom of the tent, seemed to perceive Joey in the act of rubbing or scratching his face. The torch was still firmly gripped in his left hand, but his right was committed to this unseen act of brushing or itching, almost as though Joey was in the act of dispelling cobwebs from his face. "'What are you doing?' Mark queried hesitantly. "'Yeah,' Sean put in. "'Get on with it, man.' There followed a strange, sloshing noise, a horrible noise, the likes of which neither Mark nor Sean were prepared for. Did the two of them detect the faintest sound of dripping? What on earth was Joey up to? It was then that Joey lifted the torch, held it up to his face, and switched it on. Two blood-curdling screams rent the air, followed by the unmistakable hustle and bustle of a pair of individuals fleeing from something monstrous and terrible. Further screams echoed throughout the drab yard and neighbouring yards, as Sean and Mark tore their way out of the little tent and dashed like boys possessed into the night. Joey had endured two terrifying tales that evening, the second of which had especially disturbed him. He knew that the pathetic little story he'd concocted based on the legend of the blood bogs would do little to top the offerings of his friends, and so, reluctantly, decided to use that most unique trait of his to his advantage, a trait that had caused nothing but trouble for the Anderson family for generations. 
Joey had shown his true face, the Anderson Special, as his father had once referred to it. And it had been worth it, too, because at long last, he was free to claim the coveted bag of midget gems.